The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. The headlines, the Dow hits a four-day winning streak as trade fears ease while Chinese stocks tick lower after August, producer prices logged their sharpest fall in three years. Meanwhile, German bun yields hit a one-month high after a report Berlin is mulling a shadow budget to get around tough national spending rules. Irish Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue tells CNBC exclusively he's sceptical about making progress on the Irish backstop. Whilst Boris Johnson loses a second attempt to hold an early election, but reiterates he won't delay Brexit. No matter how many devices this parliament invents to tie my hands, I will strive, Mr Speaker, to get an agreement in the national interest. This government will not delay Brexit any further. Global car manufacturing hit a near-record low in August, while Volkswagen CEO Herbert Diess tells CNBC the US-China trade war continues to be bad for business. China is considerably hit by the uh, by the trade uh, um, war, so it's uh, tough for us. And uh, we would really appreciate if uh, some of the threats would go away within the next months, which we probably don't see. Here's a lesson for you rookie reporters out here. When looking at the markets like on my left-hand side, you don't start the show by going, nothing's happening. It's a flat market because that would be A, inaccurate, and B, boring television was it as well. So look at the S&P, down 0.01%. Oh my goodness me, what a dull market. Well, luckily I found a kindred spirit in Nicholas Colas of Data Trek Monitoring as well, who completely agrees with me that there is always a story in these markets. There's always something fascinating, either in the data or the individual market moves. And you didn't even have to dig uh, that... Uh, that that far, that deep down in order to find the interesting stuff because we saw really big moves, divergent moves uh, on sub-indices uh, and indeed some of the sub-sectors as well. For instance, energy surging yesterday, thinking that there's going to be a more hawkish uh, Saudi Arabia out there as well. So we saw the energy sector up significantly over a percent and we saw healthcare down about a percent as well. So straight away, you've got a story there. You've got a big spread of around about two and a half percent between the best and the worst performing sector of the session. And then you dig a little bit further and you say, hang on a second. The US market wasn't flat across the board. In fact, there was a lot of action in the Russell 2K, in the mid caps, in the smaller caps as well, with the Russell 2K actually having a bit of a surge in session as well. So the disparity, the difference between the Russell 2K uh, and indeed the S&P was around about 19% year to date, around about 13% difference in the performance there. So Russell 2K, yes, it's been a laggard, but it's actually coming up the rails there as well. So very interesting to look at that index. trading above its 200-day moving average now as well. In terms of the data front, I think it starts getting tasty this week. You've got jolts today. What's jolts? 
JOLTS is the Jobs uh, Labour Turnover Survey. Uh, it's very fascinating because the Fed looks at this one. They look at the, the turnover in the jobs market as well. So have a look at that one as well. Also, have a look at the Treasuries. They've moved me on. They're, they're in a hurry today. 1.64%. Oh, my goodness. I mean, look at the size. That's not that big, is it? But... But, but, it is interesting because we got down to 1.5% yield. So all over the world, including Jeff's second headline today, we're seeing yields pick up a little bit. What's going on? People thinking that we're going to get a turn, thinking that the central banks are done. I don't know, but it's interesting, isn't it? And who'd have thought yields would be picking up at this moment? And look at this. I mentioned yesterday, I had my CNBC app out, didn't I? And I was looking at a 2.03% yield 30-year paper on the uh, US. And also 30-year paper in Italy was also at 2.03. Yeah, I know. Wacky, isn't it? But now look, 2.123. Anyway, so it has picked up a little bit on the yields. Is there a story about people loosening their bond holdings and getting back into equities? Or... Dare I say, are they going to cash? Who knows? Uh, 10 year, 1.64. Right, dollar crosses. I'll go straight to sterling, actually. There's only a couple of days, we're at 118. Look at that, 123. Is that because the confidence in the Johnson government's back, that there's a cohesive cabinet, that you've got parliament sitting? No, none of that works, does it? It's basically because they think that it's not going to be an no deal Brexit. Simples. Uh, 1.1043 is the euro dollar. Dollar yen, 107.38. 7.116, the key dollar yuan pair. Right, they want to move on to the oil market and gold as well. Gold plummeting. No, it's not plummeting again. Supposed to be on there, never mind. Let's have a look at the oil market. Down 1.46% uh, three-month Brent. Uh, 62.8 is where it's currently trading. Again, it's been on the front foot ever since we saw a change in leadership uh, at the Saudi energy ministry. I'd say for my part, actually, it's the first time I've spoken about this. I've worked a lot with the Saudi oil ministers over the years. I thought Al Farley was actually a very, very good communicator uh, and was very generous with his time uh, for journalists. I'll just ch- ch- chuck that one out there as well, because, of course, we have uh, a change of leadership there. We have found gold. Well done. They got the right board. Look at this. Uh, 1489. That's really interesting, a Troy Ounce. We got up to 1550. What does that mean? You're, you're lessening after your momentum story. Do you remember I took to apart an analyst a couple of weeks ago? A little bit awkward, to be honest. But I was saying, why are you buying gold? Oh, well, it's, it's a more dangerous world. No, why are you really buying gold? Oh, it's not really about momentum, is it? Yeah, it is sometimes. Anyway, WTI, 58, spot one, two. Do you want to look at the Asian indices? Let's do that. Let's do that. 26,703, the Hang Seng, the Kospi 2030, uh, the ASX 200 down seven tenths of 1%. Opening calls for European markets finally look like this. Wow, we've gone into some detail on the decimals today. Wow, our producers are, are selling themselves. 7.8 points down for the first. Look, they've gone to decimals. I should give them a bit of credit, shouldn't I, Jeff? Look, up 9.7. Down 6.7, really, guys? <laughs> Down 39.3. They didn't have my gold ball, but my God, they've redeemed themselves with such extraordinary detail on the opening calls. Morning, guys. Good morning. Welcome Long back. time no see. Well, how they call was, it uh, arithmetic, don't they? How are you both? Good. Congratulations on the Ashes, by the way. Oh, thank you very much. Bang. <laughs> I was waiting for them. By the way, that's cricket, by the way, in case you wonder what oh, the Ashes you, were. Yes. You're the only Australian I know, apart from Oriel Morrison, who doesn't care about sport. Uh, were you watching from, from Member City? I was lake? listening. I was listening. Mm. Did you watch the Grand Prix on Sunday? Oh, that was good. Anyway, what's going on? Uh, I, th- I think the word, to sum up the word, the word is emboldened. 
And I think uh, we can take that word from the F1 and we can take that word from the cricket because emboldened is exactly what happened in the markets yesterday. And I think you've described it. The interesting point in that data track piece that I was looking at was uh, the explanation of how momentum didn't participate in the rebound. So people were emboldened to go back into the market. But the interesting thing was the churn meant it wasn't the same things that went up that have been going up recently through this strong market phase. And the fact that it wasn't makes you start to wonder, okay, so what we saw was a move into value or things that haven't enjoyed the recent run as much. And bond proxies did okay. Your energy, your financials, it wasn't necessarily uh, those real estate and healthcare businesses that might have been part of that um, momentum trade here. So I think that the question still remains for me, as you look at those who are emboldened to come out, take off their helmets and have a go at trying to push this market up, believing that maybe the new noise around the trade deal means that we're not going to have a recession in 2020 and that we are going to have a resolution to this story. I think yesterday's message about hope still applies here. Hope is not an investment strategy. Don't take that one piece of evidence from yesterday's trade as a sign that it is safe for you necessarily to pile back right. into these markets. We've been questioning all along whether investors are ignoring some of the red flags and the inverted yield curve has been one of those big signals for the market. The other yesterday, I thought, just uh, sort of passed through uh, in some of the noise and investors largely ignored it. And that was that Moody's downgrade to Ford's credit rating to junk status. A couple of other agencies are still at investment grade. So you've got some of the debt still parked in the investment grade market. However, there are caveats. If you look at our rival shop, the S&P, they're effectively saying if there's a US recession and if there's a failure by Ford to improve its profitability in Europe and China, which you'd have to say is somewhat linked to trade wars and, and whether there could be a downturn, then that cushion, that comfortable cushion they've got could be ripped away, which effectively would mean another move by ratings agencies. So if you saw more move, then effectively the debt would be parked back in uh, the, the junk world. And isn't that a problem? We talk about a company as big as Ford something that's so well trusted in the markets that you've got some of the debt now potentially just tipping from investment grade into speculative. When we're talking about $100 billion out there in the market. In the real world, in the real world that all three of us grew up in, you're absolutely right. If a company's debt tipped into uh, high yield territory, into junk territory, into uninvestable territory, into lower than whatever grade is very investable from the top grade of investors, you would be right. You'd say, yeah, that's worrying. Not now. Well, now there's junk in negative territory out there virtually. There's high yield trading at flat. It doesn't matter so much anymore. And this desperation, this search for, I mean, look at it. Look at this magnificent, superb country I've just come back from. I love the place. We all love Italy. Who doesn't love Italy? What lunatic out there wouldn't love Italy? But they have got masses of problems. I could reel off to you 10 things now. Don't ask me to do that. 10 things now that would tell you this country is uninvestable. And yet, and yet, You've got 10-year paper below 1%. It's wacky world these days. So what you're saying is right historically, but in the early 21st century where there is this desperation to find a yield and you've got this backstop from these central banks, does it matter so much? Is it only right historically, though? And that's the question for investors. Is it uh, a trade you need to look at over time? Uh, We've got to move on. We'll come back to the conversation in just a moment. The trade war between the US and China continues to rock the car industry. Data from IHS market shows the global auto sector recorded the sharpest decline in output of all the sectors monitored in August. 
slumping to near record lows. Anetta caught up with the CEO of Volkswagen at the Frankfurt Motor Show and asked him how the trade tensions are affecting his business. That doesn't make our life easier. Now we are, this is a, a global industry. We are depending on, on the trade, uh, on low trade barriers between the main markets. Uh, we are very strong in China. China is considerably hit by the, uh, by the trade uh, um, war. So it's uh, tough for us and we would really appreciate if uh, some of the threats would go away within the next months, which we probably don't see. But so far we don't see a recession. It's a tough time. It's a consolidation time in the market. Uh, but we think with the product we have, with the brands we have, we are in a strong position. Um, to reiterate that, you're not expecting the, the US-China trade deal to be settled pretty soon? Uh, we receive uh, positive messages all the time that negotiations are going on. I think the Chinese really uh, made an effort and are making an effort to, to settle. So we didn't lose uh, our hope, but it seems to be really a tough thing, which will probably last several months more. Ah, that was VW boss Herbert Deese, who rolled out the new electric ID3 on Monday amid a big industry-wide push into greener vehicles. Uh, meanwhile, Moody's has cut Ford's credit rating to junk, as Karen was mentioning there, citing weak earnings and cash generation as the company undergoes an $11 billion restructuring plan. The announcement sent shares in the car maker more than 3% lower in after-hours trade. Annetta's with us uh, live from the Frankfurt Motor Show. Morning, Annetta. Perhaps we could just get you to flag up some of the key issues with your guest. Yes, thank you very much. Indeed, I'm now joined by Stuart Rowley, who is the uh, president of Ford Europe here, um, standing next to me. So good morning, sir. Thank good you very morning, much Annette. very much for joining us. We were just saying that your credit outlook was downgraded by Moody's yesterday. Uh, how is that affecting you? Is that a big worry? Yes, well, uh, of course, uh, the uh, downgrade from Moody's is, is a disappointment. Uh, to us, but we have a very, very strong balance sheet. We have a lot of liquidity, so we don't expect any near-term impact on our business as a result of that. And of course, Moody's in their report, they cited the work that we have underway in, in Ford, our global redesign, including the work we've been doing here in Europe to really transform our business. And we announced those plans in January, and we're, we're well underway uh, with that program. And today, of course, we're showing here in Frankfurt our full uh, range of electrified vehicles and we're announcing that every future passenger vehicle that we bring to market in Europe will be electrified, either a mild, a full or a plug-in hybrid. So um, we feel good about the outlook both here in Europe and for Ford globally. Um, you're restructuring your business in Europe, uh, well, greatly, I have to say, cutting up to 12,000 jobs. So how is that going and how much will that cost you? I guess this is a major concern also to the rating agency, right? Yes, well, I think uh, the rating agency, of course, is looking for us to make uh, great progress on our, on our business. So we announced our program back in uh, January. Then in June, we uh, summarized that program. And as you point out, that will affect about 12,000 of our employees, about 20% of our workforce. The good news is that that program is, is well underway. Uh, we've uh, already achieved significant changes. We've restructured our business in Europe and uh, all of the actions that we're planning to take are on the table. But of course, that's not all we're doing. We're redesigning our business uh, for the future. We're focusing on our, our winning, our leading uh, commercial vehicle business in Europe and our, our passenger vehicle business that we've broken out and then an import business that we'll set up uh, bringing in iconic uh, North American 
products for consumers here in Europe. Uh, let me ask you about Brexit, because you clearly also have um, production plans in the UK, apart from the one you're planning on closing. So how is a potential hard Brexit affecting you, and how do you deal with the political uncertainties which we are witnessing in the UK? Yes, of course. Well, we don't know what's going to happen with Brexit uh, exactly, but we are we're in communication with governments both in the UK and and here in Europe. And what we're really focused on is what's most important to our business, to the industry, and, and we think also to consumers, which is maintaining tariff-free trade between uh, the UK and Europe. Hopefully, we'll be able to get to a positive uh, solution there and uh, we'll be able to negotiate a deal. And of course, we will manage whatever outcome uh, we find ourselves in. Uh, would be one way also to change the production setup which you are having in Europe? Uh, so we have no plans beyond what we've already announced. Obviously, it's a significant uh, restructuring program that we have underway, the 12,000 uh, people that you referred to. So we don't see any further uh, changes to that. We're really focused on uh, taking our business forward here now with this great electrification program that we're bringing to market every new passenger vehicle with a, an electrified offer. How's the pricing uh, with those electrified variants of your models? Because clearly we are seeing prices being higher currently still for electrified vehicles because of the cost of the battery mainly, it seems to me. So what's your pricing range there? Well, what we're trying to do is really make a electrified offer for all consumers. So obviously full battery electric vehicles, and we will have the first of those in our range next year, they come with a you know, significant increase in cost. That's why we're looking to bring uh, mild hybrids to some of our entry-level vehicles, our, our Ford Fiesta, our, our Ford Focus, and the great new uh, Ford Puma that we're uh, showing here today. And then a lot of larger vehicles, the new Ford Cougar, will also have full hybrids and plug-in hybrid options. So our, our plan is to have an electrified version for all consumers with all wallets. Um, one last question on how well you are prepared for uh, economic outlook, uh, which is deteriorating quite substantially in Europe, but also for signs of a cooling down in the United States. What do you think? How, how are you preparing for that? Well, of course, we're always uh, preparing for all economic eventualities. But what actually we're seeing right now is really, of course, a, a quite strong uh, industry being sustained in North America, and that's being supported by lower interest rates. And also here in Europe, and particularly in the commercial vehicle business, where we're the, the market leader, we've actually seen growth uh, year to date in 2019. So although we plan for all eventualities in the future, we're very excited about what's happening today. Thank you very much and good luck here at the show. Thank you. So guys, with that, I'm sending it back to you. We'll bring you more from the Frankfurt trade show during the course of the show, obviously. But the focus clearly is this year on electrifying the fleet and um, yeah, to make those electrified cars um, at a price which is uh, attractive also to consumers. With that, I'm sending it back to you. Annette, thank you very much for the coverage. Which means... They're obscenely priced. If they want a transition from ICE engines, mm -hmm. internal combustion, or to these underperforming hybrid engines, to purely electric, they got to up the end. The, the prices are obscene. I think we were both looking at a tweet yesterday from one of the, the commentators from the oil industry. Oh, who's no, effectively oh. saying that uh, until you spend about $70,000 oh, yeah. on pounds, um, then forget about it when it comes to some of these uh, electric vehicles. Yeah, you're talking about Andy Critchlow exactly, from, yes. uh, from uh, S&P Global Plats. Mm. And he's right. And it's all right for the EV people to have a go at him saying, oh, you represent the oil industry. He doesn't. He's an energy guy. He doesn't care where they He's agnostic. He's a journalist. But this is ridiculous. The prices are obscene. If you want 
a transition. You put the prices lower, you get people in. You'll make all your money from servicing anyway. Um, it works both ways, doesn't it? I mean, if you can produce in sufficient scale, then actually you can br bring the economies of scale into the ultimate pricing. Um, but at this point, it, it's not clear that there's going to be mass adoption at this point without more punitive sanctions on ICE engines, which is where we're going in Europe, really. It's more stick than carrot at this stage. Yeah, yeah. I just wonder whether they've all invested in the wrong areas of business too, not enough into battery technology, that those investments simply just haven't taken place at the right point in time. Uh, we are going to push on and take a look at uh, some numbers out of China as uh, data watching is what we've been doing for the last couple of weeks. And China's producer price index fell deeper into deflationary territory in August as factory prices marked the sharpest annual decline in three years. China's PPI fell 0.8% in the month amid weaker raw material prices. Consumer prices rose 2.8% over the period, beating estimates. Now I'm just configuring a Nissan Leaf here to work out how much they cost. OK, right. Other EVs are available. Uh, right, coming up on the show, Prime Minister Boris Johnson vows to keep calm and carry on despite losing his second bid to trigger a general election and failing to make a meaningful progress on the backstop in Dublin. More from our international exclusive interview with the Irish Finance Minister next. And if you just can't get enough of Squawk Box, be sure to tune in for our very own podcast. Head to cnbc.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Have a listen and download today's episode. For our listeners out there, stick around for some more. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West, CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshao, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has failed in his second attempt to trigger a snap election, with only 293 MPs voting for a fresh poll, which is far short of the two-thirds majority required. The lower chamber of parliament finally closed for business in the early hours and will remain shuttered until the 14th of October. The scene was chaotic with loud protests from opposition lawmakers. New legislation also came into effect that will force the government to postpone Brexit unless a deal can be reached. Several government ministers have indicated that Number 10 is looking at ways to flout the new law. Let's get out to Willem for more at Westminster. Willem, Boris Johnson yesterday very much on message about trying to achieve a deal and denying that uh, he is trying to engineer a no-deal Brexit. That said, some commentators have started to, to pen pieces and critique him, questioning whether, in fact, all this chaos that is happening behind the scenes at Westminster might be purely created by Boris Johnson to force another election. What do you make of that scenario? Well, I mean, clearly it's uh, been a difficult week or two for the British Prime Minister. You know, he's wanted to try and hold on to that option of a no-deal Brexit. Parliament at least seems to have denied him that. He wanted, as a consequence of that, to call for an election, tried twice, 
failed because Parliament denied him that option as well. Yesterday, he went to Dublin to meet with his counterpart, Leo Varadkar, and talked about some of the ideas that have been floating around the Conservative Party for at least 18 months now that would obviate the need for the Irish backstop. And essentially, he talked about these options as though there was progress to be made there. You saw Leo Varadkar, the Irish Taoiseach Prime Minister, essentially standing there quietly listening to Boris Johnson. But we had a chance last night to catch up with his finance minister, Pascal Donoghue, who was in London yesterday talking to investors about Ireland. And when we sat down with him in the Irish Embassy, not too far from here, just next to Buckingham Palace, where the Queen obviously resides when she's in London, I asked him about these proposals being put forward by the Prime Minister as areas where progress could be made. He said that the Irish government remained, quote, highly sceptical that they would actually achieve the outcomes and would be able to replace the backstop. That is why we have stood so firmly behind the principle of regulatory alignment and the backstop. We don't believe there are any other ideas or proposals that are out there that would take the place of the backstop and be superior to us and be legally operable. But the charge and that has been made in relation to the need to look at them, what we have said in turn is is that the backstop is meant as an insurance policy, ratified withdrawal agreement, and if anyone does believe that there are ideas that could take the place of the backstop, then of course we are open to engaging with those ideas, but the backstop and the withdrawal agreement does need to be ratified. And what he's saying there, guys, at the end is essentially go ahead, push through this withdrawal agreement, endorse it in the parliament. You'll then have that transition period to test out these ideas if we like them, of course, we'll look at them and potentially adopt them. But until then, please don't float new ideas that we don't think are going to work because they haven't worked anywhere else. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.